0: Exodus 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. We are liars, all of us. That's the opinion of Christine Comerford, a contributor for Forbes magazine. She cites research from Dr. Bella DePaolo, a psychologist. From, uh, at the University of Virginia. So DePaulo found that both men and women lie in approximately a fifth of their social exchanges that last 10 or more minutes. Apparently, over the course of a week, we deceive about 30% of the people that we have one-to-one interactions with. Although men and women lie with equal frequency, they often lie for different reasons. So apparently, according to the Paolo's research, women are more prone to altruistic lies, so stretching the truth in order to protect someone's feelings. Men, on the other hand, are apparently more likely to lie about themselves, usually in an effort to impress. So uh, we exaggerate how little sleep we got, how much we can bench, how influential we are at work. Deceit is so common that we've just come to expect it of people, haven't we? So we expect our mechanic to charge us too much. We expect the hospital to order unnecessary tests. We expect our politicians to make false promises. We expect advertisers to oversell their products. We expect social media to spread fake news. And all of this deceiving can be quite confusing because most, if not all of us, believe that lying is wrong, yet for some reason, we just can't stop doing it. So a contributor for Time magazine expressed our predicament like this. He said, the injunction against bearing false witness, branded in stone and brought down by Moses from the mountaintop, has always provoked ambivalent conflicting emotions. On the one hand, nearly everybody condemns lying. On the other, nearly everyone does it every day. It's a thing we hate, but something we seemingly can't stop doing. We, we want the truth, we need the truth, but more often than we care to admit, we find ourselves suppressing the truth. If you were to ask your friends at school or your co-workers at the office or your neighbor next door, if you were to ask them, is lying wrong? I'm assuming that most, if not all of the people you ask would say, yeah, lying's wrong. However, why is that the case? Why is lying wrong? Why do we live in a world where truth-telling is better than deception? Well, to answer that question, I think we need to step back and consider the character of God. So this universe was created by the God of truth. In his very essence, God is infinitely true. He he is the source of truth, the fountain and spring of truth. Everything that is true in this world flows from him. There is nothing true apart from him. Apart from him, everything is false, a lie, a deception. God is ultimate reality. God is also the determiner of truth. So he decides what is true and what is false. So sometimes we, we hear things like, you know, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. Or, or we're told to, to go and live your truth. But these sayings are, are lies because there's no such thing as my truth. And there's no such thing as your truth. There's only God's truth. I don't get to decide what's true for me and, and neither do you because that's, that's just above our pay grade. All truth belongs to God because it's, it's part of his very nature. Since God is truth, that means that he cannot lie. So in Titus chapter one, verses one and two, the, the apostle Paul introduces his letter like this. He says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and then knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. In Hebrews chapter 6, which we read earlier, we see this same idea. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, that it's actually impossible for God to do something. He cannot lie. Now, this doesn't mean that Sometimes God wants to lie, but he just can't bring himself to do it. Like, I'd I'd really love to be able to dunk a basketball, but no matter how hard I try, I'll just never be able to do it. Like, it is impossible for Mike Jones to slam dunk a basketball because I lack something, namely height. That might be news to you, but I lack height. Now, it's impossible for God to lie, not because he lacks something, but because he's perfect. God would never desire to lie. He's so infinitely truthful that it would go against his very nature to lie. This is partly what sets him apart from humanity. So in Numbers chapter 23, God speaks through the mouth of Balaam, and he says this, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Similarly, in 1 Samuel 15, the prophet Samuel says, and also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. As we'll see in a moment, people are prone to lie. We deceive, we make promises, that, 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 and then we change our minds. We, we don't follow through, but God, he's not like this. When he speaks, he tells the truth, always, without exception. And that means that God always keeps his promises. And this is one of the major themes in the Bible. So, for example, at the end of his life, Joshua, speaking to the elders of Israel, says this, And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things. That the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. All this means that the Bible, which is the Word of God, is also true. Every part of it. In its entirety, Scripture is inerrant, free from all falsehood, fraud, and deceit. So the psalmist could sing. The sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. In John 17, Jesus is praying to his heavenly father and he prays for his disciples like this. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God's word is the standard of truth. So this here is is how we measure truth. We ask, does it confirm?" does it conform with God's word? The truthfulness of God is is really the foundation of the ninth commandment, And this should be reassuring. After all, it would be weird if God commanded us to not lie if he fell short of his own standards. I mean, we see this in human beings all the time, of course, don't we? People who make rules can often be quite hypocritical. So think of the parent who tells their children to share with others however they're incredibly stingy with their own resources or think of the teacher who tells their students to do homework however they turn up to class unprepared or think of the police officer who breaks the law or the judge who accepts a bribe or even the british prime minister who repeatedly violates his own covid 19 restrictions You know, we we don't like it when someone expects us to live to a higher standard than than they're willing to do themselves. But God isn't like that. He says, I am the God of truth who never lies. You are made in my image. Therefore, don't lie. Instead, be people of the truth. That's why deep down, we know that truth-telling is right and deceit is wrong because all of us are made in God's image and he is the God of truth. So why do we lie then? Why do we do the very thing that we condemn? Well, to understand that, we need to consider another character from the Bible. We need to talk about Satan. So if truth characterizes God, then falsehood characterizes the devil. So right at the beginning of the Bible, Satan slithered over to Eve, and he whispered doubt into her ear. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You know, Satan knew what God said. But in an effort to deceive Eve, he said, are you, are you sure you heard God correctly? Did he say you can't eat from any of these lovely trees? What a weird rule. It sounds kind of stingy if you ask me. Eve, of course, clarifies the situation. God has forbidden Only one tree. Every other tree would bring life. However, to eat from the one tree would bring about death. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan was a liar from the beginning, using his words to manipulate, deceive, and destroy. Jesus calls him the father of lies. And as the father of lies, he begets children who hate the truth. So Adam and Eve exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And when they did that, the human heart became deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Humanity became sinful and the truth was no longer beautiful. And this is what sin does. Sin is by very nature deceptive. It lies about who God is. It lies about his character, his worth, his glory. And it lies about who we are. Sin tells us that we deserve to be God. That that we deserve to be at the center of the universe. that, That we get to choose what is true for ourselves. Therefore, throughout the Bible, deception becomes characteristic of Satan's children. We are both deceived and deceitful. And not only do we lie, but we actually kind of enjoy it. We, we take delight in gossip, hearsay and slander. We take pleasure in condemning people without a fair hearing. We get a sense of satisfaction when we manipulate people. We like, we like twisting people's words. It just comes naturally to us, almost as easy as Breathing. I mean, doesn't this help you make sense of the human experience? To quote that Times article again, on the one hand, nearly everybody condemns lying because we're made in the image of God. On the other, nearly everyone does it every day because we're sinful. Now, maybe you're still not convinced. Maybe you wouldn't say that lying is a particular problem for you. Well, let's think a little bit more about the ninth commandment. What exactly does it forbid and what exactly does it require? Let me read it again. Exodus 20 verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The first thing to note is that this commandment is kind of surprising. So we would expect it to say, you shall not lie. But instead, it forbids us from bearing false witness. This language here, it brings us into the courtroom It summons witnesses to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You see, witnesses were really important in the ancient world. In those days, when people were charged with a crime, they had very little protection. And they weren't presumed innocent until proven guilty. But they were presumed guilty until proven innocent. There were no audio recordings, no fingerprints, no DNA testing, People didn't film you on the smartphones and then post it onto social media. So justice in the courtroom depended on witnesses. And to lie in court could actually cost someone their life. Therefore, if Israel was to be a place of justice, it was vital that people spoke the truth, particularly in the courtroom. So to protect against injustice, multiple witnesses were required to prosecute someone. So in Deuteronomy 19, verse 15, for, for example, we read this. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. So this commandment forbids perjury. That that's what we that's what we would say its narrow meaning is. However, however, as we've been seeing with the Ten Commandments, there's also a broad meaning. So the the Ten Commandments often forbid the most extreme form of a particular sin. So, for example, think about the sixth Commandments, which we considered a few weeks ago: "You shall not murder." Murder is hatred taken to its extreme. But Jesus was clear that harboring hatred in your heart is also breaking the sixth commandment. Well, think about the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Adultery is is lust taken to its extreme. But Jesus was clear that embracing lust in your heart is also breaking the seventh commandment. So each commandment has a narrow meaning and a broad meaning. And throughout history, Christians have always understood that Each commandment also applies to lesser sins of the same kind. So the ninth commandment that we're considering this morning, it forbids lying in court. But it also forbids every other form of falsehood. So notice what God says in Hosea chapter 4, for example. We could look at more examples, but we'll just look at this one. He says, there is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Just notice how he he lists a bunch of the Ten Commandments there. But instead of saying false witnessing, he just simply says lying. In other words, the Ninth Commandment is not just about giving false testimony in court. It's about the rumors that we spread in the workplace, and the hearsay that we entertain in church. It, it forbids big lies and little lies. It, it, it forbids grand deceptions and small fibs. It dishonesty comes in all different shapes and sizes. Have you ever overstated your accomplishments? Exaggerated the story? Ever hidden key details to put yourself in the best light? Have you ever misled someone, misquoted them, taken their words out of context? Have you ever exaggerated someone else's failings? Ever thought or said the worst about someone? Have you ever covered up a mistake, broken a promise? Have you ever gossiped? You know, we might not think about gossip as deceitful, But gossip often contains a lot of misinformation, doesn't it? So we we pass on a, a report or a rumor about someone else that's unsubstantiated, and that can do real harm. But gossip also includes passing on a true report unnecessarily. So did you know that even true words can violate the Ninth Commandment? So if we pass on information to the wrong person, or, the wrong re- or for the wrong reason, to the injury of our neighbor, that's wrong. That's why the New Testament tells us to speak the truth in love. It's not enough to simply tell the truth. We need to ask ourselves, is what I'm saying loving? There are two sides to gossiping, of course. There's the talker and the listener, but it's just as wrong to listen to gossip. Slander is one step further than gossip. So, slander is when we deliberately pass on information about someone that we know is untrue. It's when we use our words to damage someone's reputation. Slander also includes assuming the worst of someone, refusing to give someone the benefit of the doubt. In other words, we, we lie about them in our hearts. Slander seems to be one of the choice sins of our time, doesn't it? It's on social media on the news in the workplace even in the church and not just in in other churches but I think it's it's also in our church too you know we put uncharitable uncharitable labels on people because of a word they used or a cause they care about or a person they voted for we accuse people of being woke or a bigot we make judgments about people because they don't belong to our particular tribe We come to conclusions about people, often without even talking to them. And then we pass on our opinions to others as the truth. Another way we break the Ninth Commandment is by condemning people without a hearing. Again, we see this all the time on the internet, don't we? Allegations are made against people who are then tried and condemned by online lynch mobs. This pastor Oh, he's straying from the gospel. That, that black man, he's a criminal. That police officer, he's racist. This politician, he's corrupt. We see headlines like these and we just feel instantly pressured to come to a verdict, to take a side, to, to speak out and, and post something, condemning the guilty, ver- the guilty person, even though we know very little of the facts. Mark Twain is often credited with saying a lie can get halfway around the world before the truth can even get its boots on. Of course, as Christians, we want to speak out against injustice, don't we? For too long, the church has been silent when it should have spoken up. So we should call out things like abuse and racism and corruption and heresy. Oftentimes the church has not done a good job with those things. We've been silent when we should have spoken and that's deceitful too and that breaks the ninth commandment. Yet we should also be slow to make judgments about people, especially when we don't know all the information. Proverbs says that this is wisdom. So in Proverbs eighteen seventeen, we read this, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Let me highlight one final form of deceit that this commandment forbids, and that's living a double life. When we're one person in public, but another person in private. When we do that, we, we lie to our neighbour. Religious people can be especially good at this. Maybe the people at church think that you're very godly, but as a spouse, you're controlling and selfish. As a parent, you're you're angry and harsh. As an employee, you're lazy and gossipy. Maybe you're living in the darkness, indulging in a secret sin, but you present yourself as very pious and moral. You know, if there's one thing God hates, it's the lies that religious people tell to make themselves look more righteous than they really are. So if you read the Old Testament prophets, they're constantly rebuking religious hypocrites. If you read the Gospel accounts, Jesus regularly rebukes the Pharisees for being phonies. So in Matthew 23 alone, he calls them children of hell, serpents, a brood of vipers, blind guides, whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Hypocrisy is a form of deceit. But this commandment doesn't just forbid lying. It requires us to tell the truth. So listen to this this summary by the French reformer, John Calvin. He says, the purpose of this commandment is, since God, who is truth, abhors a lie, we must practice truth without deceit toward one another. So we should speak out against injustice. We should lovingly rebuke one another. We should confess our sins, we should encourage and build up one another in the truth. We should speak the truth about God's word to our neighbors. Can you see how countercultural this is? Does anyone remember what the Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year was in 2016? You can shout it out. It's OK. Anybody know? Just got to be a word nerd in here. Jay Hongar, I'm disappointed. Post-truth. So the Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year in 2016 was the word post-truth. Here's the official definition. Relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective, objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. In other words, in a post truth world, feelings trump facts. Personal subjectivity matters more than objective reality. We exchange the truth for a lie because it just makes us feel better. Doesn't this sound a lot like the world that you live in? In a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. That saying is often attributed to George Orwell. However, ironically, there's no evidence Orwell said those words. But it's still a true statement, isn't it? Because lying is everywhere. It's in businesses where people deal dishonestly. It's in politics where candidates make false promises to get more votes. It's in journalism where columnists spread fake news to get more readers. It's in pulpits where preachers proclaim a false gospel to scratch itchy ears. In a time of universal deceit, truth telling is a revolutionary act. God causes people to shine as lights in a dark world, to be holy as He is holy. The Bible has some devastating things to say about liars. For example, in Revelation 21, we're told about the new heavens and the new earth, this wonderful place that God has prepared for those that love Him. But look at what we read in verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Or we'll look at Revelation 22, verses 14 to 15. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers, and the sexually immoral, and murderers and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I don't know about you, but those verses send a shiver down my spine because I'm a liar. I've I've broken my promises. I've, I've tried to cover up my sin. I've, I've overstated my accomplishments. I've exaggerated stories to put myself in the best light. I've misquoted people. I've, I've twisted people's words. I've thought the worst about people. I've, I've gossiped, slandered, condemned people without a fair hearing. I've wanted to appear more godly than I actually am. And I haven't spoken the truth in love. I've, I've, So often I've failed to gently rebuke. I've been silent when I should have spoken up. I've allowed cowardice to prevent me from sharing the gospel. And my lies have, have often caused great harm. I've deeply hurt those that I've, I love the most. I've damaged the reputation of my neighbor. I've implicated others in my gossip. I've used people instead of loved them. And worst of all, I've offended God with my lies. The more I think about the ninth commandment, the more that I feel condemned. And maybe you do too. And if like me, you're feeling bad right now, I think that's actually a good thing. In large part, that's what the 10 commandments are for. They, the 10 commandments are not the good news. Rather, they're meant to help us to see our need for the good news. So what good news is there for liars like you and me? Well, in the opening chapter of John's gospel account, we read this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The son of God, the word of truth took on human flesh. And he came to this world full of grace and truth. In the book of Revelation, he's called the faithful and true witness. This person is Jesus Christ. And unlike you and me, there was no deceit in Jesus' mouth. He never lied. He never broke his promises. He never overstated his accomplishments. He never twisted people's words or thought the worst of someone. He never gossiped or slandered. He never unfairly judged someone. And Jesus always spoke the truth in love. He called out injustice when he saw it. He spoke kind, tender, hope-filled words. He taught the truth about God. And this shouldn't surprise us because Jesus is God himself. Therefore, Jesus is the truth. He makes that clear in John 14 verse 16. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus came to offer us a way to the Father, a way to be forgiven and reconciled to God. And he tells us a controversial truth. He's the only way that can happen. We can't come to God apart from him. That means other religions are lies. Thinking that God will accept us because of our good behavior is a lie. There's only one way to God and that's through Jesus who is the way, the truth, the life. So how does Jesus bring us to God? Well, first, he keeps God's law in our place. He perfectly obeys the 10 commandments. He loves God with all of his heart, soul, mind and strength and he loves his neighbor as himself. And secondly, he dies as a sacrifice in our place. So Jesus is eventually put on trial for claiming to be God in Matthew 26 verse 60 we read that many false witnesses came forward and they lied about him but the religious leaders didn't actually have the authority to put Jesus to death so they brought Jesus before a Roman governor a guy named Pontius Pilate and listen to the exchange that happened between Jesus and Pilate Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? In our post truth world, Pilate would find himself right at home. Here was Jesus, truth incarnate, standing right in front of him. But Pilate embraces a lie and he condemns Jesus to the cross. Yet this was all part of God's sovereign plan because it was through Jesus' death that salvation was accomplished. He died taking the punishment for our sin and three days later, he rose in victory from the grave. The truth conquered the lie. So here's what this means. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to the Father except through him. Therefore, if you want salvation this morning, if you want forgiveness with God, peace with God, friendship with God, then believe in Jesus. Believe that Jesus alone can save you from your sins. To refuse to believe this is to embrace a lie, the worst lie, the lie above all lies. This is Jesus' point in John chapter 8. So he's speaking to the religious leaders of his day. And he says this to them, beginning of verse 44. He says to the religious leaders, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, You do not believe me? Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. (laughs) Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He is speaking the truth. However, the religious leaders don't believe him. They don't recognize who he is. He is God himself. He's the king. He's the truth. And yet they're deceived. They embrace a lie. They believe their father, Satan. And so they reject the very one who came to save them. Friend, don't make the same mistake. Embrace the truth this morning. Embrace Jesus Christ. As I'm sure you you all know, Queen Elizabeth passed away this week. Thank you to those of you who text me your condolences. You know, as I was reading about the Queen's life this week, I stumbled across a really delightful story. Uh, one day when she was out for a walk in the Scottish countryside, uh, she was walking alongside her Royal Protection Officer, a guy named Dick Griffin. And on the walk, they crossed paths with two Americans. And it was clear from the moment that they met that they they didn't recognize that this was the Queen. And so you know, as they were talking, one of the Americans asked Her Majesty, well, where do you live? <laughs> and she replied, well, I live in London, but I've got a holiday home just the other side of the hills. And one of the Americans, Americans said, well, how, how often have you been coming up here? Oh, she said, I've, I've been coming up here ever since I was a little girl, so over 80 years. And that got the American gentleman thinking. He asked, well, if you've been coming up here for 80 years, then you must have met the queen. (laughs) And as quick as a flash, the queen says, well, I haven't, but Dick here meets her regularly. (laughs) So the American says, oh, you've met the queen? What's she like? And Dick says, oh, she can be very cantankerous at times, but she's got a lovely sense of humor. And after this the the american comes up and he and he puts his arm around dick griffin and he gives his camera to the queen and he says can you take a picture of the two of us and anyway they eventually they they did swap places and dick got a picture of them with the queen but they they still not, didn't actually tell the americans they just waved goodbye and the queen turns to dick and she says oh i'd love to be a fly on the wall when they show those pictures to their friends in America, and hopefully someone tells them. You know, it's such a great story. It's hilarious. Because they they were in the presence of, of royalty, but they didn't realize that the one before them was the person on the throne. And it's a funny story when it's Queen Elizabeth. However, we need to make sure that we don't make the same mistake with Jesus. Because if we fail to recognize that Jesus is the king, if we do what Pilate did or what the religious leaders of Jesus, they did, it won't be a funny story. It'll be disastrous because our eternal lives depend on embracing him as the truth. So if you've never done that, then let me implore you to believe in Jesus Christ today, to recognize him as your king and your savior, to recognize him as the way, the truth, and the life. And for those of us who have embraced Jesus, God calls us to be people of the truth. You know, think about the reasons we lie. I mean, we lie for so many reasons. To save face, to avoid hurting each other's feelings, to impress people, to shirk responsibility, to hide our sin, to prevent conflict, to get out of work, just to name a few. But whatever the reason, I think we see that the gospel always gives us a better reason to tell the truth. For for one example, maybe you lie because you try to cover up who you really are. You don't want people to know how much of a failure you are. You're worried that they'll judge you, criticize you. You're terrified of people's rejection. But here's the thing, the gospel has already exposed the very worst of us. In response to our sin, the cross has criticized and judged us more intensely, deeply, pervasively, and truly than anyone else ever could. The cross of Jesus declares, I'm a worse sinner than you could ever imagine. I deserve God's judgment and rejection. But the cross also declares something else. Through the cross, God justifies the ungodly. Through the cross, we receive a righteousness that is not our own. The cross of Jesus declares, I'm more loved, more accepted, more secure than you could ever imagine. And this should free us to be people of the truth. When are you tempted to lie? And how should the gospel free you to tell the truth? When we, when we come to Jesus, we receive new identities. So previously, our our old our core identity was, was sinner. We were sinners, and so we lived out of that core identity. We were liars, lover of, lovers of falsehood, haters of the truth. But when we trust in Jesus, a transformation takes place. We become God's children, citizens of heaven, disciples of Jesus. And so now we live out of that new identity. So notice what Jesus says in Acts chapter one. So after rising from the grave. And appearing to his disciples, he says this in Acts 1 verse 8. He tells them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Do you see what Jesus promises here? He says that God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit will come and dwell in his people. And notice the transforming effect that this will have on Jesus' disciples. You will be my witnesses. They will bear witness to the truth of Jesus. That's who you are if you're in Jesus Christ. You are his witness. You're no longer a liar. You're no longer a lover of falsehood. You're no longer a hater of the truth. You're a new creation. So live out of that new identity. Remember how a false witness can bring about death? Well, Jesus makes his people faithful witnesses who can bring about life. As we refuse to practice falsehood, but speak the truth in love, we testify to the truth about God. And as we share the truth about Jesus in our families, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools, our sports teams, wherever we find ourselves, dead and deceived sinners receive eternal life. So let's pour away falsehood, and let's speak the truth with our neighbor, because God is a God of truth, and in Jesus Christ, who is the truth, He's made us His witnesses. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we confess this morning that we are we are so prone to break the ninth commandment, We're so prone to lie. We're so prone to not tell the truth. I know so many different ways that we do this. Yet we thank you that even though we deserve hell, we deserve judgment for our falsehood, for our deceit. We thank you that you sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ the faithful and true witness. We thank you that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that he died for our sins and rose from the grave to save us. And that by faith in him, he brings us to you, forgiven, restored, reconciled. So we pray that we would cling to Christ, embrace him this morning as the truth, and that we would live out of our new identities as his witnesses that we would speak the truth in love. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.